Hey y'all, it's your favorite host, and I wanted to just pop in here to say, uh, if you're enjoying the show uh, and you'd like to give us some support, the best way to do that is through Patreon. Uh, I've launched the Patreon with a couple of tiers. There's a $3 tier, which gives you access to the Discord, and you come hang out with uh, me and the other friends inside of that, uh, and just kind of talk the show, talk a bunch of different nerd stuff. And then there is a, another tier, an $8 tier, uh, where you can get early access to episodes ad-free. Um, you will also get free access to all uh, micro-RPGs that I create in the future. Yeah, so again, uh, thank you so much for listening to the show. Um, if you'd like to give additional support, that's one way to do it. Another great way to do it is just, you know, go on to whatever platform you're listening to and rate the podcast, subscribe, uh, follow, leave a review if you can. Um, those things really help gain visibility for the show, and it is always greatly appreciated. Link is in the description. Thank you so much, and back to the episode. Welcome to the Secret Nerd Podcast, where we think everyone should play tabletop RPGs and give you some reasons why. folks with me today i'm very excited to talk about um something that i've been interested in for a while now and uh the person i have with me um is a veteran uh when it comes to ttrpgs and also a scholar when it comes to ttrpgs so yeah if you would like to introduce yourself yeah so uh i'm i'm stefan huddleston i go by uh umbral knight on uh twitter and uh, a few other platforms like <laughs> twitch and things like that when i'm on there yeah. um I am a, um, like you said, a longtime uh, player of TTRPGs. I started in 1977 nice. with the ubiquitous Dungeons and Dragons and soon <laughs> branched out into a myriad of role playing games uh, in the late 70s and through the 80s um, and beyond. And uh, I had the occasion in uh, 2013 to return to school. And uh, I ended up completing my master's in history and uh, the last of three master's theses that I wrote was on race and gender in early tabletop role-playing games. So yeah. um, it's one of the fields that I focus on, uh, role-playing games and uh, uh, how, it, uh, how they relate to marginalized groups in, uh, as a whole. Yeah. Yeah. That is awesome. It's, it's, you know, for myself, um, being a little bit younger, just not having been exposed to it right away. Like it's, it's still crazy to me that there's now like a place for, for those kind of lessons in school to talk about games, you know, um, especially games when it's like, these were things that were at one point like, <laughs> uh, seen as devil worship. So. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I came up in a time frame one when, Gamers were overwhelmingly, uh, predominantly uh, male and white, mm -hmm. um, you know, cisgender, white males, uh, middle class, overwhelmingly dominated uh, the space. Um, 
And uh, I was fortunate, uh, well, early on, I was fortunate that uh, I had a group that was reasonably diverse. Uh, it was it was uh, certainly uh, predominantly white, but we had uh, myself and there was another uh, player uh, who was um, born in Egypt, and then okay. a couple uh, a couple of the other guys I played with were uh, Filipino, and so um, I had a fairly diverse group in comparison to. Uh, what existed and what we saw around us in, in other spaces. Um, when we would go to cons and stuff like that, we would kind of play this game, count the brown dudes, you know, <laughs> we, we rarely got above five. Yeah, um, <laughs> and, uh, and, and women weren't that common in the space mm -hmm. at the time. Um, and so uh, it's changed a lot. And, and as you said, it was uh, it, you were ostracized, early on if you played um anyone who played was ostracized because it was um seen as um you know weird and nerdy and different yeah. um in that time frame you know and this was in the time frame when all of these things that are hip and cool today like comic books and and, <laughs> and everything like that were not yeah. um and then also like you said we had the satanic panic um that was going on um, not just in, in gaming, but gaming was one of the big, uh, locuses for the satanic panic. And it was, yeah, rampant. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, that kind of brings me to like, one of the things I always ask my guests is like, what got you into, you know, quote unquote nerd stuff, uh, to begin with? Uh, so my mom was an avid reader of um and she is to this day an avid reader um but particularly she's an, an avid reader of um, fantasy mm. um and science fiction and so she introduced me to things like lord of the rings like at a very young age my mom was uh very stern she taught me you know she had me uh reading by the age of two oh. and um and so uh, I read um, Lord of the Rings for the first time about the time that I, I picked up uh, playing Dungeons and Dragons. I was seven years old. Yeah. Um, and um, so I was into like all of these fantasy things that were uh, around in the, in, in the, at that time frame. And uh, I just happened to be in a bookstore uh, one day and I walked uh, I walked in down the aisle and I saw this box that said <laughs> Dungeons and Dragons on it. And I was like, what is this? You know? <laughs> yeah. And, uh, I picked it up. I ran home. Uh, I had, uh, I kind of like strong armed one friend, uh, into, Hey, look, dude, I got this new game. Let's check it out. And, and we made characters and, uh, I'll never forget his character, uh, was named Lancelot. Um, <laughs> and it was this, elf uh he was an elf and and uh of course back in early D D, the elves and dwarves didn't have classes they were like their the their race quote unquote was their class yeah and um so uh we made a couple of characters and and you know we were seven years old we really didn't fully understand everything so we were uh kind of like half following the rules and half making it up as, as, as we went along. So we were doing all sorts of oddball things, you know, 
it was the same year that this little production called Star Wars came out. Yeah. So our characters were running around with lightsabers and yeah. and and all of these other things. Uh, but it was a blast, and um, and that was kind of like just the beginning of 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 everything for me. So. <laughs> yeah. No, that's so fun. Um, yeah, I mean, some of the because I've never like actually been able to play any of the older editions or like even picked up a book or anything, but just hearing some of the stories or like, you know, seeing like a couple different like um, playthroughs and stuff like that. It's crazy. The differences from those old games of like, if you were an elf, you were like a completely different type of character, you know? <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, el- elves and, and, and as they called them back then, the demi humans, and it was, you know, at first it was just elves and dwarves were kind of their own thing. And then of course, when advanced dungeons and dragons came out, then we got uh, initially hobbits, but then of course they quickly had to change that to halflings. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and, uh, you know, they were their own thing. And then gnomes uh, were, came along and, um, and then you could, uh, with advanced Dungeons and Dragons, you could start to do like, oh, well, I'm going to be, you know, like a gnome illusionist thief or, or things like that. And of course, multi-classing worked completely differently than it did today because you, you know, if you were a demi-human, you simultaneously went up in 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 two classes and you had to split your XP. And but if you were a human, you did what they call dual classing, so you had to stay in one class and then switch to another class. And it was kind of similar to fifth edition multi-classing the only difference was was that if you used the abilities of the class that you previously had been you like lost experience points for for like <laughs> dipping back into your old class it was it was a weird brutal uh brutal thing uh, but there again we were just you know immersed in fun and 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 it was really all for us about creating these places that you know never existed and in in these amazing vast ideas of, Oh my gosh, we're fighting a dragon or we're fighting, you know, some vast beast or, you know, we were able to shape these worlds to, to what we saw in our minds and just utterly amazing. And then of course, from D and I just went into so many other games. It's, it's hard to even uh, enumerate the number of games <laughs> we played in the, uh, in the eighties, I had a, a, our extended group that I played with, um, by the time I got into junior high and high school, there were probably about a dozen of us, oh, wow. um, on and off, you know, where we would rotate through different campaigns and different games of, of, of different things like that. And we had so many different games going on from chill to champions to uh, traveler to, you know, twilight 2000 and so many other games that, uh, and every time a new game came out, somebody in that group of 12 bought it. So we yeah. we went through uh, so many and we were playing literally every Saturday, uh, almost every Sunday and nonstop on, in the summer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. That's uh, now as an adult, I'm like, that sounds so fun. <laughs> I, <laughs> I know. I look back on those days, you know. With like, it's like, oh, wow, man, we just kind of, wow, we just played and played and played. And we, you know, we didn't have, you know, of course, you know, you have those, those high school concerns that seem like they're uh, epic. And, and, Mm -hmm. you know, when you're, when you're in high school, but looking back, you're like, yeah, we really didn't have any, any real, real world concerns. We just played games a lot. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. (laughs) Yeah, that's so good. Um, and I think you kind of touched on it, but like, was that this this the experience of like 
kind of nerd shame? Was that something that you dealt with too when you're growing up? Oh, absolutely. Um, for sure. I mean, uh, if you were, um, reading, uh, comic books mm-hmm. or if you were, uh, playing these games like, you know, D and D or any of those things, people just like looked at you, uh, in general. And the, the eighties in particular was this very kind of, um, casually racist, casually misogynistic, uh, era. And, and it was, uh, and people were just, uh, when I look back on it, we were just brutal to each other, you know, (laughs) Uh, 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 the racialized or sexist jokes were just like thick and wild and they just flew everywhere. And of course everyone justified it by saying, well, we're picking on everybody. We're not picking Mm. out any particular group. And, and, um, and, and yeah, if you were, if you didn't conform to a certain aesthetic of cool in the, in the, in that time frame, um, yeah, you were utterly ostracized from it. And, you know, you got to a point, I think is, uh, for us, many, many of us who were in my circle where you were just like, okay, we were the outcasts. We were just going to do our own thing. And we were like, whatever, you yeah. know, we were, you know, everything was very, very much, you know, as you can see in movies of there, it was very clickish, you know, you had the mm-hmm. jocks and you had the, and we were the nerds. And, and yeah. that was, we were like, we just kind of, uh, leaned into that. But certainly, um, when you were out, you know, people like at our high school knew that like we were the nerds and that was that, but like, when you were out in public, it was to the point that you didn't like, you didn't announce that you, you played these games. You didn't, it's not like we were running around wearing like people do today, wearing a, you know, run D and D t-shirt or something like that. Yeah. We just didn't do that back then because you were, uh, you were bound to get a, a ton of, of, of crap for it and possibly even get into physical altercations over it. So we just like, avoided even talking about it in in public in general now i don't know where you grew up but like did you did you ever face um or do you feel like you ever face like additional expectations uh being black as well when it came yeah so i i grew up in in uh uh in the greater los angeles area okay and so um certainly there were times when i would be at like gaming stores um, and encounter people that um, didn't know me or certainly at conventions, we would go to conventions and, um, you know, you would get kind of those subtle looks of like, you know, what's he doing here? You know, yeah, exactly. Um, and yeah, uh, I'm sure you know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. You have, you know, you have that environment that, you know, you, you go, you walk into a room and, and I've described it sometimes as like uh, uh, like an old Western where, you know, the piano is playing and you, you walk in through the door and every all the music stops and everybody looks, you know. <laughs> yeah. um, and I certainly encountered that um, that sort of uh, attitude. And then um, mostly for me, looking back, I think for me, uh, it was the internalized kind of racial elements mm-hmm. uh, of the era because uh um as i've uh, i've told some people before that looking back i realized that i didn't play a character who looked like me until well into the 90s yeah uh my characters were predominantly all white or 
you know, uh, looking back, they were some awful stereotype of uh, of uh, peoples from Asia or indigenous peoples in America, depending on what game we were playing. Yeah, because that's what I saw in all of the media, in the books, mm-hmm. in television, in in movies that we saw. The heroes were they were white. Yeah, almost, almost unfailingly. And so I ended up internalizing a lot of that. And um, yeah, like I said, it wasn't until the 90s that I think I played my first character who was black. Yeah, you know, not not counting like, you know, a drow or something like that, right? Which is <laughs> a, whole uh, <laughs> yeah. a whole other thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, similarly, though, I, I, like I said, I haven't played um, quite as long, but like same thing, I definitely would always just play a non-human yeah, um, because I felt like humans weren't for me. Like I wasn't like nobody ever said like you can't play human, but it just felt like, oh, the human's white, so I can't play a human. Like yeah, that's you know. yeah. I can I can I can look up on this shelf right next to me. This folder right here has all of my characters from the eighties, <laughs> nice. like from a, a myriad of games, and I can look in this folder and I can flip to a particular page because like. I'm just that kind of person. I catalog like things just because I do. And I can flip to this one page and I can tell you that I have in this book, there are, I have it like jotted down here in a number. I have, there it is. So there are about 60 D&D characters in this folder. Uh-huh. And of those D&D characters, of those 60 uh, over only 15 of them are humans. Yeah. Um, the overwhelming majority of them are elves of some type, like right. over, th- over 30 of them are elves. Cause I, I loved elves back in the day and I played yeah. elves all the time. So I totally get where you're coming from. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, and then too, I mean, you know, high elves is the same thing. Cause like high elves, like the way they're written into the book is like, you know, the pale skin and the light brown hair, blonde hair. And I was like, well, okay, that's not for me either. So I guess I can't be a high elf. And <laughs> yeah, I played a lot of wood elves, uh, yeah, you know, yeah. that were like, yeah, said, like tan. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I played wood elves. And then of course, back in the day, uh, they, they, they called them gray elves. Hmm. Um, and I played a lot of gray elves and a lot of wood elves, um, yeah. were probably the ones I played overwhelmingly the most. <laughs> when do you, when do you think that it like dawned on you? that um, you were kind of navigating some of this stuff when it came to race in the game? You know, I I think I kind of half kind of started to understand it in the 90s. uh, And I was really heavily into uh, playing like some of the White Wolf games, uh, Mm -hmm. particularly uh, Werewolf the the Apocalypse. Yeah. Um, And I think that was the first time that, uh, I really started to um, think about um, race in games and like uh, looking at these characters. And I and and one of the things that I really like to do with games um, since that time is challenging tropes. Yeah. And so uh, one of the th- it's really started to dawn to me, and I'm like, why are all my characters white? <laughs> why are why are why are all the characters around me white? What's yeah. happening? Like and or why are they always like you know these these stereotypes of other groups, right? Like yeah. and and then it really started and I'm like 
what can I do to do that differently, right? And then so I really started to think about challenging and changing stereotypes. And that's um, that's when I really started. I think it was, you know, like mid-90s. And I'm like, I had done it before with like challenging stereotypes. I'm like, um, but I hadn't really thought about it on that level. Previously, I had, you know, done things like, I want to play the smart strong man, or I want to play, um, you know, things that go against those, you know, the big dumb brute or, or, or something like that. And then it, I started to expand that and think about like, well, what other tropes am I like, man, like all of these characters are starting to look the same. And, and so that's when it really started to, to roll for me. Yeah. Yeah. It, uh, it's interesting like to see, um, I think especially too, when you're a kid, it's so easy to just be entertained, you know, and, um, yes. like, you know, when I was a kid and the Lord of the Rings movie came out, I, I didn't even think anything of it. I was just like, oh, okay. Yeah. Like, this is amazing. Aragorn's freaking awesome, you know, and <laughs> like, yeah. uh, Legolas is a badass. And like, so to me it was just cool. But then like you start to get older and look back and go, Okay, so I I did finally see some some black people there, but or some brown people there, but they were um, very tribalized. They were um, yes. like yes. looked like they might be cannibals. They were siding with the side of pure evil, um, mm-hmm. and then the orcs too. You kind of get that same. Um, yeah, it, 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 it it's kind of uh, it's interesting, and it's something I touched on in my thesis with Tolkien. Of course, Tolkien came out, and 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 people, a lot of Tolkien's fans point to that he he you know openly came out and 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 said what a silly concept that racism was. But just because you you openly denounce racism doesn't mean that you can't internalize these things yourself and write yeah. things that are harmful, even if you're not doing it necessarily intentionally. And um, so when you look at uh, Middle Earth. Middle Earth fits this paradigm of kind of Eurocentric storytelling, where uh, we see it with um, we see it with uh, the Forgotten Realms mm-hmm. in D and D. We see it with Galerion in Pathfinder. And on one hand, it makes storytelling very simple because if you model your world after kind of like Europe, and then you set like the quote unquote Asia analog to the east and the Africa analog to the south, it makes storytelling very simple. So when you're like sitting in the GM seat, you can say, uh, oh, we're going to go to uh, this particular region of the world. And you say, you're like, oh, we're going to go up to Icewind Dale. And people are looking at you like, and you know, you have a bunch of new players and they're like, well, what's there? And you're like, Vikings. And, and it like, okay, you yeah. know, and people can, can get into that, you know, um, very easily, but it also establishes this idea that, um, that these Eurocentric worlds with the darker peoples to the South and to the East is the norm. Mm-hmm. Um, and it sets them as the standard. And, uh, and so, yeah, you, you absolutely see that. And I had, you know, a similar experience to what you're talking about. I didn't realize it again until years, years later. Um, But I've told people that, you know, in in when I was, uh, you know, around 12 years old in 1982, this super cheesy movie came out and it's called Megaforce. It's it's uh, it's about as cheesy an 80s movie as you're ever going to find. And it's about this kind of like multinational um, military strike force, you know, Mm -hmm. and um the there's a character in the film and 
And I always say that like independent movies, like films that aren't like straight from big Hollywood studios can sometimes break barriers in, in interesting ways. And this film had a, a black character that when they first introduce him, the first one of the first things you see him doing is he, he's got his headphones on and he's listening to music and this big kind of like snooty British general uh, leans over to him and he says, Gladys Knight in the pips and and the uh, the guy's like, no, Vivaldi, you know, and he was sitting there listening to like, you know, classical music. Yeah. And then later on, he like quotes Shakespeare. Yeah. And as a kid at 12, you know, I would go out and I would play with everybody else. And of course, guess who got to be the black guy when we were mimicking the movies that we had just seen? That was me. Yeah. And that was the first time playing with the guys that I got to be the one quoting Shakespeare. Yeah. And there's a scene later on in the movie where, you know, one of the characters is trying to solve a Rubik's cube and he can't solve it. And then this black character says, Hey, you know, toss it over here. And he, and he solves it in seconds. Right. Mm -hmm. This was the first time I got to be the smart one. Yeah. This was the first time I got to be the sophisticated one. Right. And there's all kinds of like things to unpack there, but looking back, I was like, Man, wow, what a significant moment that was for me as a 12-year-old Yeah, from this cheesy, low-budget movie that has a zero rating on, on, on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but you know what movie did that for me too, um, which I, I honestly didn't even think about until very recently. We were, I was talking to my uh, home group for our, our game we play on Saturday nights is Pathfinder 2E. Yeah. Um, and we were just kind of hanging out prepping before game uh we're actually going to play delta green that before this or when this conversation happened yeah and um we were talking about the different like uh, allegories and stuff and i was talking about um agent smith or agent j excuse me agent j from men in black yes and as a kid like i i wanted to be the smartest person but i also wanted to have friends and so that like riding that fence was very difficult for me and i failed a lot uh especially (laughs) when i was younger just because i didn't know how to cope like i knew I was smart. I knew I could answer questions, but I didn't really know how to relate to people. And um, yep. charisma slipped past me often. Yeah. So to see <laughs> to see Agent J like breaking down situations in a room full of white people that can't figure it out, like being the only one with common sense, like slide the table to his um, to his chair, like never seeing an alien before, and like yes. oh yeah, the little girl's the alien because she has a you know like all this crazy stuff that he picks up and yeah yeah. Yeah. To me, that was like, you know, when we talk about representation, that mm-hmm. was just like, so like, oh, okay, it can be done. Like there's hope for me if I could figure this out, but yeah, yeah, no, I totally get it. And that's, that's like where, you know, I think throughout, you know, uh, throughout time, you know, you have those moments of representation where you see that you're like, oh, wow, it is possible. Right. It, it, it is a thing. Uh, and, and those are, and I, I think, for those who have seen themselves portrayed on the regular in media, it's hard for them to understand how vital and how, you know, important that is when people have those moments and they're like, wow. Yeah. That could be me. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I mean, to that, you know, I think too, like, unless, you know, you're talking about a, like a white kid who was maybe an, an anarchist or something like seeing Captain America to me when I was a kid, I was just like, Nah, that's I'm not into it. You right. Know? It was just like right. 
you know, this great white hope and it's so patriotic and the country, yeah. you know, and so it's like, okay, well, I live here. I've dealt with this stuff. Um, you know, I was, even as a kid, like fifth grade, I remember that's when my brother and I started questioning, like, um, you know, doing the Pledge of America. Right, 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 right. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, and, um, you know, things like that where it's just like, this seems like it was the word I had for it at the time was corny. It was just like, it just seems too yeah. corny and that's not mm-hmm. for me, you know? Um, and Cyclops is the same way. And so it was like, yeah, like, you know, g- put me in touch with beast, right? Like brilliant yeah. scientist. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it, it, there were these moments for me growing up, you know, where I would look at these characters and I would always find myself wanting more, you know, mm-hmm. as a kid, I remember when, you know, the original Battlestar Galactica came out and, you know, the two main characters are white mm-hmm. and they're kind of like sidekick boomer is, is, is the black guy. And I always found myself like, I want more boomer, right? Like yeah. I want, where's more boomer, right? Like, yeah. um, and, and, and then that's true. Like throughout media, right. Throughout television in the eighties, throughout movies in the eighties, I'd be like, I want more BA on the A team. Right. I want more because, you know, finally I'm seeing like these black characters who are like doing things and stuff like that. And I'm like, you know, like you were just, you know, laying out those other characters. Like I can't really relate to them Mm -hmm. um, in the same way. And, and like, same thing. Like I grew up reading like, you know, X-Men comics and, you know, you have, you know, the core X-Men are all, you know, predominantly white, but I'm like, I want more storm, you know, like, (laughs) give me more of that, you know? (laughs) Uh, um, And, you know, I, you know, you see that time and time again throughout media where it's like, okay, uh, give me some more of that. And like now, uh, you know, we're in a time where thankfully, finally, we're getting this explosion for, you know, Asian American representation and mm-hmm. and uh, more African American representation and LBGTQIA representation and all of these things. And you know, it's one of the things that I talk about in some of the classes that I teach, um, uh, history courses that I teach, uh, because I do some things with film and television and representation. Yeah. And like, it comes in stages. You know, you go through these processes where early on you get some representation, but maybe it's not the best representation usually. Uh, but it's something you kind of cling to it because you're like, okay, I'm finally seeing myself in this. It's awful, but, but it's something I'll take it, you know? And then, and then gradually, you know, you hope for things to expand and grow, but like very early on, you're like, I'm going to take what I can get because it's, it's all I have. (laughs) Yeah. No. Um, yeah. I mean, I even went through that recently. Um, so I, for years, I've been a fan of Robert Jordan's wheel of time series. Oh, ditto, Um, ditto. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's pretty great. Um, and it, you know, it was written in the nineties. So there are some things that are problematic with it. Like many things that were written back then. Absolutely. Um, So when the show came out, I was interested. I was excited about the idea that there would be uh, a multitude of of different races portrayed. Yes, yes. You know, um, in the show, including in the main cast, because while some people say they thought that the some of the main cast was was brown, at least I have never once in my <laughs> life like reading right. through. I was like, no, I, I, they're all white kids. Um, right, right, right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, up until the Shanshin come, like I don't, 
you know, you don't really see it. Or the, you know, the folks in um, the Aiel, yeah, yeah. Well, even the Aiel are white. They're just even the Aiel are pre- predominantly white. Yeah, they they're just, just hands. <laughs> they just have hands, right? Yeah. Exactly. Um, yep. But you know, they do have like the the northern part of the country, and I can't remember all the names of the countries, but like that were portrayed as um, uh, sort of Japanese or. Um, yeah, yeah, you know, Malkir and Shanir yeah, yeah, and all yeah. of those. Yes, uh-huh. um, yep. Which, of course, you know, now that I'm talking about, it, it's like, yeah, there's probably some Orientalism there too. Yes, yeah, oh, absolutely, there <laughs> yeah. is. Absolutely, right. there is. But uh, you know, outside of all of that, like, it just was something that I never really thought of. So when I watched the show, I was excited. Um, you know, the black actors that were on it were doing amazing jobs uh, in right. their acting roles. And I didn't think anything past that. I was like, I enjoyed it. They did a great job in their roles. And then I remember reading um, Quinn, Quinn Murphy's tweet about it. And he was just like, why are all the black people villains? Why are you killing all? And I was like, right, right. Fuck. Like, damn right. It. Yeah. You're like, oh, damn it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and it is, it's, it's one of those things that like, you know, a lot of times you latch on to these things and then it's only when you go back and you start to analyze them that you're like, oh, man, yeah. <laughs> you're like, yeah. oh, what? why? Why did they do that? And yeah. And then it gets very interesting when you when you look at these stories as they exist uh, uh, today, because Hollywood is still navigating these things uh, in so many ways where um, they still they're trying to get there, but they're still a little rough when it comes to diversity, especially when they start uh, making these more diverse casts because Hollywood still has like these very heavy taboos against, for instance, interracial relationships um, and things like that and portraying them, even though they're trying to portray this world that is uh, uh, a kind of, if you will, post-racial, they, they uh, still have trouble like uh, putting, uh, interracial pairings together and having them um, have any kind of longevity and stuff like that. And they have all of these issues that they're still grappling with, even though they're trying to push towards these things. But again, it's like, you know, it would be nice if we could just like wave a magic wand and have like a nice level playing field, like right from the get go. But, you know, unfortunately we have to take these things in stages because that's just the nature of the beast. Hollywood is like, this great big old dinosaur that hates change, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. And so uh, you, when we were just talking a little bit ago, you had mentioned um, Galarian from Pathfinder. Uh, yeah. As, as my, the fans of my show know, I'm a big Pathfinder 2E fan. Um, and Ditto. I did. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, you, you know, I was, I saw, and I think we briefly talked about it um, at the time, but like you were, looking into the Moenge Expanse book, uh, yes. but it was very early in the process. And I'm curious, you know, like what your thoughts are on that, um, that book. I now. really like, uh, when I, uh, once I was able to finally dig into it and there was a rough patch there, obviously where, where uh, Paizo had some, uh, uh, some issues, <laughs> yeah. uh, as they have, you know, as they have in the past, uh, but I'm glad to see they got this union thing going um, and they acknowledge the union and hope I'm hoping for good things out of that. Yeah. Um, but when I went back and I dug into the Moongi expanse book, um, I really like, um, and there were some great uh, uh, writers of color who worked on, on the book um, yeah. that I really, uh, uh, whose work I really enjoy. And I really, really like what they did with the Moongi expanse. Um, they, 
um, they did some things that really one of the the issues with uh, both uh, fictionalized analogs of Africa and Africa itself in the real world is that um, Africa gets homogenized um, into it's just Africa. It doesn't get broken down. Uh, people ignore the fact uh, that we're dealing with over 50 countries. We're dealing with um, um, hundreds of languages and ethnic groups and things like that across this vast continent. Yeah. And um, it just gets painted with these broad strokes um, of of uh, of just being this one thing. And there's a great essay that I highly recommend people read. Um, called How to Write About Africa. And it's a satirical essay uh, by an African author who um, wrote about Africa as a whole and the way it gets portrayed in any form of writing, um, typically. And it's, you know, how it's boiled down to, um, you know, these beautiful sunsets and, and wide savannas, but then also uh, poor people who can't feed themselves and talking animals and all these other like tropes that you see time and time again. And the Mwangi Expanse didn't do that, right? Yeah. And it, they they make the various cultures distinct. Um, I really like how they uh, dealt with um, the concept of slavery and um, peoples who had freed themselves, uh, who had revolted and freed themselves from slavery and um, kind of dealt with that in, in the cultures um, that had been involved there. Um, and they have a diversity across the Mwangi expanse, whether you go into the south, the east, the west, the north, all of those directions and they have a diversity of custom a diversity of uh of people which i think is absolutely vital in um in again getting away from those tropes of just um things of course um the mwangi expanse has one of the preeminent magical um schools yeah in um in the setting um and and they really played up with that um and and so i think overall i really really like what they did with the Mwangi expanse book um are there little niggling things you can criticize yeah you can do that with anything i think uh but overall um i think it's probably one of the better um um supplements on an africa analog that can be found in um D and D or or any of D and D's variants like Pathfinder. Yeah, it's uh, I mean, it definitely has changed um, a lot of of how I perceive uh, you know fantasy TTRPGs now because you know having having that stuff there available for you to like look at and to see and to get inspired by um, and knowing that you know a majority of that was written by Black people like uh, for myself has been so. Yeah, just so amazing to you know my creative process as a as a GM and uh, you know world building that when I look at like doing my own stuff and things like that and it's just it, it's so fun and I've gotten to talk to some of the writers and like you know listen to some of the stories of how you know some of the ideas came to them and the thoughts behind it like talking about um, the episodes out now but I, I spoke with uh, uh, Michelle. Uh, 
and she was saying that, you know, when you talk about Grandmother Spider, who's a trickster god, and like, how do you make that so it's not like, you know, a negative, right? Like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. You, you know, like making it so that it's something that this is a a god that has helped people free themselves who have you know overthrown tyrants and things like that, and so yeah. I mean, there's so much of that stuff in there that is really so beautiful when you're looking at like source material for people to go off of. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think um, it's important, again, to have these other locales kind of start to crop up in mm-hmm. uh, in the setting um, to be able to situate uh, campaigns in these locales, right? To be able yeah. to 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 have these places again, not have everything be uh, um, kind of this Eurocentric starting point, yeah. and have it be very much where uh, we can move away and say, "Hey, we can tell a complete story in this place where uh, uh, the overwhelming majority of the people are black and brown." Right? Mm-hmm. We can tell. Um, these stories in these places um, where the people just don't look European. They don't have European mannerisms or or uh, modes of thought and things like that. And I think that's absolutely so vital in the, uh, in the TTRPG space and particularly in the space of um, games that are D&D or derived from D&D the way Pathfinder is just because they dominate um, the RPG space so heavily. Yeah. Yeah, seriously. It's, it's kind of daunting actually, but, um, it is, it is. <laughs> but yeah, you know, when it comes to the classes that you teach and stuff, like how did one, how did you get into teaching TTRPGs? And then two, what are some of the things that you kind of, uh, work through in those classes? Yeah. So, uh, you know, predominantly I teach a lot of, um, history, in relation to uh, marginalized groups. So I teach, uh, you know, one of the courses I've taught is an African-American cinema course. I've taught a course uh, on um, sub-Saharan Africa, modern sub-Saharan Africa. Um, um, And I've taught um, courses on various points in U.S. history. Like right now I'm doing a couple of U.S. history at post-World War II to present. And then I'm also doing um, post-Civil War to the 1920s. Mm. Uh, but um, my real, you know, one of my other real loves is kind of like this pop culture space. Yeah. Um, so I'm also currently teaching a course, uh, a pop culture course. And games, uh, role-playing games kind of fit into that sphere and space. And so one of the sections in this pop culture course that's coming up is uh, on TTRPGs. And... Uh, because role-playing games at their essence, right, even though they are still to this day, even with the wild popularity of, of things like Critical Role and um, and uh, D&D just being so massive that uh, it's being, you know, mentioned in things like, uh, you know, Stranger Things and Community yeah. and all of these other things, it's still fairly niche, but... Uh, Role-playing games, tabletop role-playing games, are the foundation for computer role-playing games, which yeah. are massive, massive, massive. World of Warcraft and the endless myriad of games that are like that. Um, and so they are – they have 
uh, D&D and its ilk have this massive impact on popular culture. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's where I kind of like start out as going back to um, role-playing games as the root of um, these popular culture um, icons, but also um, talking about kind of the shift that's happened since the coming of fifth edition and the popularity of, uh, of it, you know, still being fairly niche, but growing um, in, in some very interesting and amazing ways and some very impactful ways, um, particularly with the expansion for um, marginalized groups and being able to be uh, work towards being uh, more seen in the space a lot more games being put out by um, creators from various marginalized groups and those games, you know, um, doing well, you know, obviously D and D remains the 8,000 pound dragon in the room. Right. Um, uh, but, but all of these other spaces. And so um, that's where I approach it is um, kind of the history of TTRPGs um, and lay out how they have an impact on wider pop culture. So not only uh, video games, but also pop culture references that come from those games and then how they have impacted um, um, various groups in, 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 in the modern era as they've, you know, kind of developed in the, you know, in the 21st century. Um, And that's where I kind of focus for um, the courses that I uh, center around them. Yeah. Yeah. That's really awesome. Um, are you finding, you know, like are the classes becoming more diverse too, like in terms of your students? Yeah. Um, where I am, um, I'm in, I'm in, uh, Colorado now in Colorado Springs. Um, and so Colorado Springs is a huge, huge military town. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we've got, uh, five military bases here. Um, in in uh, in the area, and so uh, like a lot of cities uh, around uh, around the nation, um, we have different like areas where the diversity is different. And so, in particular, I teach at uh, the community college here, and I um, also uh, um, do some other work at the community college. And we have one campus on the south end of town. And then another campus that's on the north end of town and the north end of town uh, tends to be a little bit more affluent and it tends to be a little bit more uh, 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 less diverse. Mm. Whereas the south end of town, um, we have a fair amount of diversity um, in in those courses. Um, And but I think we're seeing more uh, more diversity in general uh, reflected. And there's just like. just the pop culture kind of theme in general uh, draws draws a lot of people because obviously people are like, oh, pop culture, you know, let's check yeah. that out, you know. So when I went to college my freshman year, I got I was able to get into like this television culture class, and that was pretty pretty interesting. Uh, some of the stuff that you kind of learn in those things, um, absolutely. But yeah, it's nice to you know to to mix it up, and, and it is good to see um, so many new people coming into it, um, checking it out. And I think too, in that same situation, like, you know, maybe they come to the class for pop culture, but then leave going, Oh, you know, 
I want to try playing these games now. Yeah, I hope so. Uh, you know, I hope some. Uh, I, I and and I and I sneak it in. I sneak it in uh, wherever I can, even in yeah. some other courses. So uh, I taught a course uh, last semester, um, and we were teaching a course on um, alternate history stories. Yeah. Um, and um, and kind of their placement in um, in pop culture and why are alternate history stories so popular and and that sort of thing and um as part of the one of the assignments we were having um the students um make uh they had to make maps okay and uh so i brought up a couple of uh uh you know TTRPG related map programs and said, Hey, there's some free map programs out there that you can use to, to make maps with. And, uh, uh, I had a couple of students who were like, man, I never thought I'd see a professor bring up like, you know, something related to a role-playing game for map making in a college course, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so those are like, yeah, you know, like some, some cool little moments. Like, yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> No, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it is so interesting. And I think, you know, since I started this show, when I when I started the show, I definitely, I had hope that there was more diversity out there, um, but I didn't really, I couldn't see it uh, just because I avoided social media and everything else. Um, right. And since creating the podcast and doing it, like having met so many different types of people, it's amazing to see all of the different stories and the, and the ways that, you know, where you grew up affected how some of that stuff was perceived and, uh, you know, what games you got into and, and, you know, whether you got into it cause it was forbidden from you or whether you got into it cause it was accessible to you. And yeah, you know. yes. So true. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's super interesting, but you know, have you ever considered, um, or tried, um, like game design and game writing and stuff like that? Just kind of being a part of the world for so long. I, um, I've certainly, uh, I, I, I certainly in high school, um, it was kind of the thing in the group that I was in where we would write our own game systems and yeah. stuff. And, and so like, you know, amateur stuff, of course, um, we would put some things together, uh, back in the day and we wrote a few things back then. And then I had occasion to, uh, submit some stuff that ended up getting published during the whole D20 explosion with, um, third edition D and D. Yeah. Um, and that's probably the closest I've gotten to like actually like I had a couple of like uh, artifacts and things published um, in, in that like stretch there. Um, and then I've like since about that time, like right about the, 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 the middle of the D20 explosion, I started writing my own uh, fantasy setting um, and I've used it in various systems. It's kind of system agnostic. Yeah. Uh, but I haven't, uh, I, I'm still, I was to this day, like 17 years later, I'm still like hammering it out and writing it. Yeah. Uh, but I haven't published it. Maybe someday, uh, I will. Um, I'm more honestly, uh, I'm more of like, uh, than a, than a dedicated writer. I'm more of an ideal guy Yeah, yeah. where I come up with like all of these wonderful ideas and it works great for being a GM, right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, because I can put these ideas out. And, and then um, see how the players react to them. 
Yeah. And then I can play off of, of what they do. And, yeah. and that, that seems to work the best for me. Uh, but yeah, maybe someday I might, I might put something out there. Yeah, no, I, I definitely, um, love the world building stuff. Um, yes. Pr- you know, prior to the Moinga expense book coming out, I would have just kept on doing my own homebrew worlds. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, but it's just so, like I said, it's so much fun. It's a great resource. So it makes it easy for, for getting into our games. But, um, even now I just put out a one shot today and, it's in Pathfinder 2E, but I did like post-apocalyptic 83 years set in the Moinga Expanse. Oh, uh, nice. In a world with no magic. Um, and so, yeah, it's it's fun to to like for me to do those things. And, and same thing, I'll have an idea and it's like, oh, okay, yeah, that's I got this now. Like I can sort yep. of map this out. Um, and for my, for my players, that's a big thing too, to be like, hey, you know, just give me an idea. Like, let me know. It doesn't have to be in depth. You don't have to write a whole page of anything. Just say right. like a couple things. And I literally, it's just going to start coming. Uh, Cause that's the way that my brain's built. Like I can story this stuff out. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Same, same, same for me. Yeah. Very similar for me. Like, absolutely. Yeah. Do, do you enjoy, um, cause it sounds like you're familiar with like Delta green. Are you like, do you enjoy other non fantasy TTRPGs? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I honestly, uh, I'm honestly, uh, more of a fan of sci-fi than I am fantasy. Okay. Um, in general, uh, for me, like early on, like I said, we played a lot of like, you know, other, other games, Star Frontiers, and we played Call of Cthulhu and we played, um, all of these other things, but it was when, um, actually Cyberpunk came out. Um, that like, I, I, I really, really, I, up until that point, I had really enjoyed and had so much fun with so many RPGs, but that was the first RPG that I can remember falling in love with was cyberpunk. Um, and I just was like, ah, and that was like, cyberpunk was my, was my jam for, for quite a while after. And so like things like that, cyberpunk and shadow run, um, I love Eclipse Phase and um, some other games like that. I really, really love um, sci-fi uh, yeah. RPGs a whole, whole lot. <laughs> when when Cyberpunk came out, were you aware that um, Mike Pondsmith was a black man, like at the time, or not? When I very first picked it up, but I found out um, shortly thereafter. Yeah, and I was like, "What? <laughs> what? A black guy wrote a role-playing game?" Yeah. Wait a minute. Stop yeah. the successful presses. successful role-playing game. <laughs> yeah, a successful, wildly popular, and a role-playing game that I absolutely loved. Yeah. Um, and that was like, oh my god, blew my mind at the time. Um, and of course, I, I, you know, I picked up the original before Cyberpunk 2020, the original Cyberpunk box set, and uh, ran home. Uh, you know, similar to so many other times with other games. And I was like, guys, I got this new game. We yeah. got to make, you know, and that was like a tradition. Like somebody would get a new game and then you would make characters, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I, I always remember Cyberpunk because I ran home and I said, guys, today, come over. We're making characters for this new game. 
And the guys come over and I'll never forget one of my buddies is like, you know, reading through the book and he's, I'm going to make a net runner. And I'm like, dude, go for it. And of course, you know, in cyberpunk, you roll like all of these D tens to get, you know, uh, the stats for your characters. And he just lays out these D tens and he rolls them down. And, and uh, I'll never forget that day. We looked down at his dice and he rolled all tens and a six. Wow. He was four, he was four points shy of a perfect character. Wow. <laughs> I was like, bro what just happened there um yeah and uh we just dove into that again and then when i found out that like uh mike pondsmith had written it i i was like oh my goodness like yeah. that was like kind of like one of those defining moments that like for me like again like through all of those times going to all these games and so rarely like seeing uh, people of color at cons and, and, and at events and things like that, that was like one of those moments where I was like, wow, the yeah. possibilities just like blew my mind at that moment. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's, it's wonderful to see. Um, you know, I am curious though, cause I, I've noticed for myself, um, and you know, I am, just a guy for all intents right. purposes. You know, I'm I, you know, I'm not a scholar by any means, but I definitely, since doing this, since getting involved, have become much more critical in the way that I look at a lot of um mm-hmm. the games and the games that come out and the representation in those games and stuff. And so um my wife is Hispanic and yeah. so Hispanic and indigenous uh representation in games has been something that I've I've noticed a lack of as well. And so it's like, while I'm excited for black representation, it's still like, this is cool, but it's still not enough. Um, Yeah. Is that something that you uh, kind of think about or? or, Absolutely. 100%. That's why I was like, when um, uh, Coyote and Crow came out um, on Kickstarter, I was so jazzed. I was like, Oh my gosh, this is uh, a, uh, no pun intended, a game changer, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, um, and then the same thing, like to be able to see, to mm-hmm. see like a, a team come together of 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 indigenous writers come together and create that that game, um, and then to see like various groups um, just across the 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 spectrum um, being able to create games from their own cultures. Uh, from their own perspective is happening so much more in the last few years yeah. that uh, that that's phenomenal. And, and, and I'm absolutely like excited to see uh, more games come across that are um, that include uh, indigenous representation and Latinx representation and just all across the board uh, because we need, every last bit of that in yeah. so many ways. So yeah, it's absolutely something um, that I constantly think about that. Uh, and, and whenever I see uh, something that's coming from any marginalized group, I'm like, okay, yes, yes, yeah. more, more, bring it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I think, you know, the, the interesting part about it too, is like, yes, there are other games now that are coming out, non-fantasy games. Right. But a lot yeah. of those are like set in a way that it's like, you're a human so you can just design your human however you want to do it right it takes the onus off the game uh developer because they haven't created a set of of races where it's like D D and pathfinder clearly have set 
places for different types of humans and different types of elves right. and everything else. And so, yeah, I mean, one of um, one of my good friends from the show uh, is the uh, GM for Makers of Misfits, which is an all POC, yeah. mostly Hispanic uh, po- uh, podcast. And we were talking about that of just like, so I know now, like I have the Moinga Expanse. I see, I can see myself in the game. Like, but is there yeah. anything for you? And it's like, no. And when you try to figure it out, like there really isn't much there. It's like, okay, in Avistan, that's where all the indigenous people come from as a monologue, right. <laughs> essentially. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and, and it just, yeah, I think it's part of it, I think is just something, and I could be wrong, but I, I think that there's something of just like, well, we know if we don't fix black people, that's going to be the most vocal issue. So let's right. just handle that first. Um, and then if we have to, we'll go <laughs> take care of the other stuff as well. Yeah. You know, there's certainly a, um, a, uh, there's certainly a movement because certainly overwhelmingly what we see um, in, in the gaming space are games that are um, made by, um, predominantly African Americans, Asian Americans, people of mm-hmm. Asian descent, people of African descent, uh, people who are in the diasporas of those two regions, seem to overwhelmingly dominate uh, um, marginalized representation at this point. Yes. Um, and I would really, really like to see um, that keep rolling and expand into other groups because, yeah, you're right. Um, I've seen a handful of maybe indie things, but I haven't seen anything uh, of a really large, in a really large way that focuses on the Caribbean, Central America, South America, uh, uh, Mexico, um, those areas of the world um, in any real significant way um, written by, written by people, you know, from those groups. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I've seen plenty of, of stuff, um, that was that's been written about indigenous peoples in Australia, but it's not written by indigenous peoples. <laughs> yeah. um, I've seen, you know, uh, um, again, uh, uh, so thrilled for Coyote and Crow because, again, so much of what had been seen in gaming before was not written by indigenous peoples um, uh, from the Americas. And so um, I would really, really love to see uh, that like explode to the level um, that it kind of is. And obviously not even to imply that for uh, people from the African or Asian diasporas that we've arrived by any stretch of the imagination, there's still tons of work to be done, but I'd certainly like to see um, an increase in the representation from, um, from other groups as well. Um, And I like, I'm, I'm always keeping my eyes open uh, for those things. And, and if anybody knows of any projects I'm not aware of, please let, let me know. Cause yeah, um, I'm always eyes peeled for, <laughs> for those kind of things. Cause those, those things really excite me and they really pump me up the diversity. Uh, like I said, even though we're, we're not quote unquote there and I don't think we'll, you know, we should ever consider ourselves arrived, yeah. but, um, to see the way that it's grown in the last few years, um, is just absolutely phenomenal um, to me um, when I, especially when I look at the history of TTRPGs that just have uh, had these very like Eurocentric gaze kind of looking out 
on these groups yeah um and 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 presenting them from again a eurocentric perspective and not dealing um uh with these groups um because they weren't being written by people from these categories yeah and so um they just kind of got uh again this standard very tropish very stereotyped uh um looks and especially early on um in the hobby um it was like really really bad um (laughs) early on but uh i I, man i'm like i said please more everyone please more (laughs) yeah it's uh it'll be it'll be interesting to see i think i i I mean, I think I can anticipate, like, I think we can all anticipate that there's going to be more of it just as more people come into the space. Yes. And it's and it's cool to see things, um, you know, communities like Utopia that are bringing, um, you know, BIPOC people together to, you know, build communities of like streamers, creators, designers and stuff to kind of like, let us give you resources to help you figure out you know, how to do this and, and get better. And so as the hobby grows, I think places like that, which are positive forces in the mm-hmm. space are going to grow. Um, and all of those things will hopefully just snowball into more um, cool shit. Yeah, I really hope so. And I hope that we see, uh, because obviously just as in, you know, in this space, which is just kind of a microcosm mm-hmm. of the wider world that we live in, obviously we're talking about, uh, um, groups of people who have an array of obstacles that are already placed in front of them. Yeah. Um, and then now you're going to add to that, that you're trying to break into, you know, I don't care what, what space you're trying to break into, be it music, television, film, games, right. Um, you have to, you have to overcome the standard obstacles of breaking into that space, but then you also have to overcome all of the obstacles that are placed by issues of, you know, systemic and institutionalized racism and sexism and, and all of these other things. And, um, just amazing, amazing amount of, uh, of, um, joy for those who have been able to overcome those obstacles and break into these spaces, um, in the ways, uh, that people have, um, recently. Um, and I hope that, um, all of us together can continue to break down those barriers um, and move further along. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully. I mean, it does seem uh, like there's, you know, more and more of us every day and, and, you know, making our, putting our stamp on things and, and showing that we're here. And, um, you know, uh, I saw today um, there's a wonderful group of folks um, that do, um, this page called Obsidian Brews, and they're um, trying to help people get into D&D, Black people help get into D&D, um, give them resources and stuff to learn the games and the stream as well. And they got invited um, to Gen Con. And so, like, you know, things like that, I think, are just the more we can see it. Um, Asian Represents won two Ennies for their podcast. Uh, yes. <laughs> like, that's amazing. No, it's, it's, it's spectacular, and, 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 and that's one of those areas – um, you know, one of the data points when I was researching my um, when I was researching my thesis, one of the data points uh, that was really notable to me. Um, and there's a great uh, um, scholarly book um, 
dealing with uh, role-playing games, uh, both computer role-playing games and tabletop role-playing games. And within there, there's an article that talks about Gen Con in particular, and it talks about how um, it's fairly recent. It was like, I think, 20... Uh, it, it was the mid-2000s sometime frame, or maybe a little bit thereafter, that presenters at Gen Con finally reached gender parity where we had uh um but but still even even up to recently um it's very rare to go to gen con and see people at gen con who are attending gen con who aren't people who work at the at the venue <laughs> yeah uh people of color yeah. um it's it's shifted some but still um there's still a lot of uh, work to be done um, in those spaces um, as far as, again, presenters and things like that. And so for groups like Asian Represents, which is a spectacular podcast, I love their stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and then this group that you just mentioned, who uh, I hadn't heard of, but now I'm going to go check out. Yeah, um, City and Brews. Uh, yeah. City and Brews. Um, amazing um, and spectacular. And I hope uh, that's kind of like the last frontier. You know, I'm getting ready to go up uh, at the end of the month to help some friends out with their uh, booth at uh, Gen Con or Gen Con, Genghis Con up in Denver at the end of the month here in February. And, uh, you know, the last time I was there was pre-COVID. Mm-hmm. And uh, there again, you know, tons of games going on, tons of things going on. Uh, I think I counted less than five people of color who didn't work at the venue. Um, um, And that's, so that's still, even though uh, we see so many people coming out, so many people writing things, so many people creating games, um, we're still a little bit absent in some of the public spaces around gaming. Um, Not completely absent. It's, it's definitely changing, uh, but there's a lot more work that can be done there. Yeah. Well, hopefully, I mean, you know, like we were talking about, I just will hopefully see that change. And I think, I mean, obviously, COVID's going to keep putting its kibosh on that until we right. figure it out as a country. <laughs> yeah, but, absolutely. Uh, but yeah, you know, it's it's still great that, you know, we have this hobby that we can kind of come together around, uh, even digitally and, and um, you know, get to meet wonderful people and, and diversify our lives. And, you know, yes. you don't have to play with the same group all the time. Like it's, they're the resources are out there to, to reach out. So. Man, the digital, the digital and and the internet has like changed uh, role-playing in ways that again, for me, you know, coming yeah. from the literal pen and <laughs> pen and pencil days, yeah. um, just mind blowing and, and so amazing to be able to see, um, you know, and I've, you know, been able to watch so many awesome live streams with diverse casts and mm-hmm. people of color and people uh, from the um, LBGTQIA community and all of those things. And that to me is just so wonderful and affirming. And I like seek those things out because I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm sitting here watching a stream of a role playing game. Mm. And every face is black or brown. Yeah. What? Yeah. Wow. Um, and 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 like, you know, just from all of this long experience of 
of um, not seeing that on the regular, but now being able to see it on the regular is just so amazingly edifying that like I made this like a lifelong hobby. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's super exciting. Well, awesome. I think on, on that high note, uh, that's where we'll end the recording, but you know, thank you so much for, for coming on and talking about this stuff. This has been super cool. And, um, you know, I definitely learned some things too. So. Yeah. Well, thank you for having me. It was, uh, uh, quite the pleasure. I mean, I'm I'm always a sucker to to talk uh, role playing games. <laughs> <laughs> you and me both, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you would like to reach out to us, check out the many options on the Anchor app or anchor.fm on your browser. You can also reach us at secretnerdpodcast at gmail.com. Make sure to subscribe to the show. And if you'd like, leave a review to help us grow this thing. 